Good morning. I'm really excited to be here. I don't know, maybe overly excited. When I get excited, I, I tend to talk fast, so tune in your ears, man. Uh, I do want to say a couple things about the video you just saw, not the bumper video, but the video about women's Bible study. Uh, excited about that starting up again. You know, when we were uh, at home for a couple of months, we were just glad to be back in church on a Sunday, but we're starting to kind of see things happen. Our, our Sunday school classes opened up last week for our kids. Kids' church happened after a few weeks of meeting together. Coffee just came back. We haven't really made announcements. We're just kind of creeping things in. So you're going to see more and more things come online as we uh, adjust and, and have church in our new normal. So uh, whatever this season is, new normal for today. Whatever. I don't, I'm not, I don't know. But uh, just excited about what God's doing here at Radiant. And uh, I do want to say a couple of things. I did introduce myself earlier. My name's Jerome. I'm the pastor here. And if you're a guest with us, we want to say a special welcome to you. I stand out there uh, as everyone leaves and kind of, I used to shake hands. Every once in a while I would hug, but now I just kind of elbow bump you. So if you're a guest with you, I would love to meet you after service. Maybe we could share an elbow bump uh, and connect. But we also have something called the connection card that should be at every seating arrangement. If you'd fill that out, people at Radiant fill it out as well to communicate prayer requests and uh, just to say, hey, we're here. And uh, so if you take that as a guest and fill that out, it would give us a chance to follow up and say thank you for being our guest. I have an admission to make. I failed to follow up on last week's guests, and so... I'm kicking myself. If you were here last week and I didn't follow up on you, forgive me. <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'm still calling you today. Anyways, um, everyone's like, boy, what are we paying this guy to do? Okay. We, now, I, now I'm not nearly as excited as I was two seconds ago. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your word to us. We've sung songs about who you are, and now we look at your revelation of who you are, what it means to follow after you. Lord, we pray that uh, you would speak to us, encourage us, and strengthen us today. In Jesus' name, amen. On Friday, my children started school, and this was the year Heather and I had been kind of dreading, not because it's 2020 and all the other stuff, giant locust and Kobe Bryant, but and a couple other things that have taken place in 2020. But this is the year that four children in our household go to four different schools. Elementary, intermediate, middle school, and high school. It's the only year in our life that it's ever going to happen as far as local schools. I don't know what, you know, my daughter's a senior. But this is the only, so we're thinking, oh, man, what, four different campuses for four different kids' productions and, and all these things that are going to take place, the shows and the, the sports. What's that world going to be like? And now I actually am thinking, oh, thanks to COVID, maybe it won't be as complex as I thought. They're not going to allow us back on campus. But before they started school, you, you may know this if you're a parent or a grandparent, you know that there was a little struggle about what do I do this year as the school is trying to figure out what they're doing, sending out their plan. We're like, do we send our kids to wear a mask all day long or do we keep them home where they don't have peer interaction or personal instruction? And we, we were... We were going back and forth, and the school system kept saying, well, here's the plan. Oh, you know, here's another plan. And it's not just this school. It's every school. They're, people are just trying to figure out what's going on, and so are we. And at times, it could be absolutely overwhelming. Am I the only one who gets overwhelmed? And, oh, okay. Thank you for that amen. I see that amen. Do I get another? I mean, <laughs> it could be overwhelming. And when we're overwhelmed, we become paralyzed. It's just the way life is now. Like, I have a hard time keeping my grass cut and my laundry moving when life is easy. 
But what happens in, when life is difficult and, and, and we're, we're living through something that we've never lived through before, fear and anxiety is on the rise and you hear about it and, you, and you've, you've had conversations with your friends and maybe you've recognized it in yourself, the fear and anxiety of living today. My wife and daughter were in Walmart the other day and someone was walking very, very slowly. So they passed this person and that person snapped at them and said, six feet. I mean, like, I don't think that person would do that normally, but it's just kind of the, we're all kind of on edge. But the good news for us, we're going through the book of John, right? This is our series. The good news for us is like John was written in the first century, the, the end of the first century, to an audience with his purpose to reveal who Jesus was. But I almost feel like the passage today he wrote for us in, in August of 2020. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 10. Can you tell I'm a little excited? I just said us. That's excited. I've already mentioned that John wrote this at the end of the first century. The church had been in existence decades after Jesus' ministry, his death and resurrection. And John writes to reveal who Jesus is so that people would believe and have life in believing. Now, we're going to pick up in John chapter 10, verse 1. But really, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're following along with the sequence of things, don't be smart here. John chapter 10, verse 1 follows John chapter 9, 4, 1. I know you're like, well, duh. But no, this thing flows together. You know, the Bible wasn't written with chapters and verse markers in place. John wasn't like, like Frodo or no, Bilbo, who was like a hobbit's tale, chapter one, verse one. It wasn't that way. It was like the 12th century where we got chapters. It was the, like the, you know, the 14th century. Well, anyways, the printing press led to verses. And you can, it's worth the Google, trust me. That's how we get our, our Bibles. So sometimes, and very, most of the time, all the time, Chapters and verses are helpful for us to recall, to find our space, to see themes develop. But sometimes they create artificial divisions. And so we come to chapter 10, verse 1, and we think it's a totally different experience. But really, it just flows from what happened last week. You remember last week? Jesus heals a man born blind. And then the Pharisees, the religious leaders, confront him and ask him what's going on. Who does he think he is? And he's, he's kind of smart and Eventually, he, that man comes back to Jesus, and Jesus interacts with him, and then the Pharisees jump in and say, oh, yeah, what are you saying about us? In fact, before we get to 10, verse 1, let's, let's backtrack a couple of verses. Start with me, chapter 9, verse 39, and you're going to see how it just, just flows. This is the, you know, we've been at the Feast of the, of the Tabernacles for a couple chapters now, and Jesus' interaction there. I tell you the truth. Oh, no, we're going back to verse 9, chapter 9, verse 39. Then Jesus told them, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. That's where we ended last week. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard this and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim to see I tell you the truth, you see, not a big long pause there. I tell you the truth, anyone who, who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is a shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They don't follow a stranger, for they will run from him because they don't know his voice. So Jesus 
is confronted by the Pharisees. He calls them out. He condemns them. And then he begins to contrast his treatment of the people versus theirs. You remember? They cast out this man who was healed, who was born blind. They were harsh to him in their treatment. And then eventually, they actually cast him out. And his, and his parents were afraid that they would be kicked out of the synagogue too. So he, 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 he tells this parable that would make a whole lot of sense to people in that time, in that day, because shepherds and sheep are part of life in Jesus' day. Not so much in 2020, at least in Hamilton County. I guess maybe if you live in Sheridan. We've got sheep. I don't know. We have a strong Sheridan contingent. I love you. Do we have sheep there? Probably not. And, 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 and the way that the... Sheep pens looked in the first century are very different than the farms you would have sheep or goats or whatever today. Things were just, it's been 2,000 years, guys. So they, he, he uses this illustration for them. You have a sheep pen where these sheep are, are, are stored. There's a gatekeeper who's hired to make sure that the bad guys stay out and the good guys get in. Who's the good guy? The shepherd. He recognizes the shepherd. The sheep recognize the shepherd. But then there's those who go over the wall, the thieves and the robbers, Gatekeeper's job is to keep them out. Jesus contrasts, and it's almost like, you remember the prodigal son parable? Where Jesus talks about the older brother who's like pouting. And the Pharisees are like, wait a minute, wait, wait, are you saying we're the older brother? The religious leaders here know exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you're the thieves and the robbers. You're the one who's climbing over the sheep gate. He's contrasting his care of his sheep with their mistreatment of sheep. This idea that sheep know the voice of the shepherd, and it's, it's kind of, under, you know, as I was studying, I came across this, this quote that's really great, so I had to share it to you. But it says, Near East shepherds have been known to stand at different spots outside the enclosure and sound their peculiar calls, and the sheep come and gather around him. It's a lot like my wife in Walmart, and she makes her peculiar call. It's a lovely call. But my children come running because they know her voice, Right? It is a little peculiar, but that's, it does work. You're wondering what it is now. No, it's not that. <laughs> See, in the context of Jesus' ministry, these thieves and robbers are the religious leaders. They, they understood that Jesus is saying, you're fleecing the sheep. You're, you're, com you're coming over the wall to harm and to do damage. But in contrast, he's there as the nurturing, guiding guarding shepherd. Now, he hasn't actually said, I am that shepherd, and you guys, he hasn't laid it out quite, quite yet. He's just kind of telling the parable, letting it sit there, which brings us to chap chapter 10, verse 6. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration, they didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, let me stop there before I read any further and say, this is not really an explanation as it is that he expounds the metaphor. He, he tells a separate parable altogether to explain the first parable. Um, because if he was to explain it, he would say, well, I am that shepherd and you are. But he doesn't do that. He just tells another one. Thanks, Jesus. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep do not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come through me will be saved. 
They will come and go freely and will find good pasture. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. So Jesus tells another parable where this time he says, I am the gate. Once again, kind of expanding rather than explaining that first parable because now he is the gate. Now there is, there is documentation in the early first century during Jesus' time that shepherds would sometimes lie down at the entrance of an enclosure. That way they could protect things from coming in to harm the sheep and they could also protect the sheep from straying out. It's, it's possible that Jesus was thinking of this or he could just be thinking of I am the inanimate object gate. I, I don't know exactly what he means, but what, what the point is, is that he is the way of interest. Entrance. He's the way of entrance. What does it mean to enter? Those who come through me will be saved. Now that word saved there, the, the Greek there is um, sozo. That's the root word, but we're, we're going to get there in a second. But let me, at the very end of chapter, chapter 10, verse 10, we're going to look at verse 10 right now. Um, it comes in two parts. The first part, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I almost started my sermon this way in asking you who the thief is in that verse, because we all know, if you grew up in church, if you went to Sunday school in the third grade, you know that verse. And the thief, well, it's Satan, right? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But the context of this, I don't believe it is. Let's take a look at the context. This entire discourse is in response to the religious leader's treatment of the man in John chapter 9. He goes from condemning the Pharisees to contrasting his leadership with theirs. The very first parable we just looked at, the difference between thieves and robbers and the shepherd. This one, thieves bring death, the gate brings life. And the one we're about to look at, hired hands, well they, and he's saying, he's putting these religious leaders in these different categories. Hired hands, well they, they abandon the sheep when trouble comes, but... The good shepherd lays down his life. I mean, you went further proof. Verse 8, he says, what does he say? All who come before me are thieves and robbers. So it's not like he changed the theme from in two verses. Verse 8, somewhere in verse 9, he says, well, now we're going to talk about Satan. The thief comes. So I know, listen, your Sunday school teacher as well as mine, I've been on this platform and I've said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So it's not like I'm saying I'm better than you. Like this was like a well moment for me when I was studying. And some of your Sunday school teachers are turning in their grave. I don't know why dead people express their disappointment by turning in the grave. But uh, I don't know. So anyways, let me add another thing. For those of you who don't believe me, I'm going to play to him. He's laughing. Okay, listen. In the Old Testament and throughout ancient Jewish literature, Satan is never referred to as a thief. But you know who is? They're leaders of Israel. They're thieves and bandits throughout the Old Testament. And we're going to see that here in a second when we look at the next section. So the religious leaders, Jesus on point, calling them out versus who he is. That's the first part of verse 10. Look at the second part of verse 10. Remember I said something about Sozo in verse 9, to be saved. Verse 10, Jesus comes to what? Bring abundant life. Verse 9 talks about those who come through the gate will be saved. That's to, to, to be rescued, protected, to be healed. 
And now verse 10, he expands on that saying abundant life. Do you remember a few months ago when we talked about the bread of life? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. We had that word Zoe. There was different words for life. There was bios, which is like physical life where we get biology. There's suke, which is psychology. There's, those, are other, those are translated life in English. But this is zoe. This is the uncreated eternal life of God, the divine life uniquely possessed by God. It's about quality of life. It's when you say, man, this is the life. Yesterday, Heather and I went to a wedding, and we were driving home just counting our blessings that the Lord brought us here in so many ways. And it was just that moment like this is the life. It was like one of those, it's what Dwight Schrute calls perfectenschlag, or Millhouse goes, everything's coming up Millhouse. I mean, it's just one of those, like, everything's aligning. This is life. Abundant zoe, abundant life is more than just material wealth. It begins with salvation, but it extends into the here and now. It's living with a gained heavenly perspective of a growing trust and knowledge of who God is. It's a deep down satisfaction that nothing else and no one else can give you, but neither can anything or anyone take it away. That's abundant life. Paul says it this way, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives with me because abundant life, his abundant life becomes our abundant life. For you died to this life, your real life is hidden in Christ. Zoe is that life that the, those who enter the gate receive, and Jesus is the gate. Keep reading with me, verses 11 through 21. I am the good shepherd. Now we have another parable. Now he, he went from gate to shepherd, which we knew he was going to do because some of you know this passage. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and they know me, just as my father knows me, and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too. That'd be us, by the way, if you're a Gentile. Uh, <laughs> I have other sheep too that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so that I may take it back up again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have authority to lay it down when I want and to also take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. When he said these things, the people were divided against uh, in their opinions about him. Some said, he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like this? Others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of a, of a blind man? Further proof that this comes just right after that healing of the blind man and that interaction. Jesus uses another parable. First, he, he contrasts thieves and shepherds. Then he talks about being the gate and thieves. And now it's, I am the good shepherd. And you, you religious leaders, you thieves and robbers, you're the hired hand that when things get tough, you abandon the sheep in contrast to the good shepherd who lays his life down to the sheep. Jesus is obviously foreshadowing and looking forward to his death and his resurrection in this passage. You know what he's doing, though? He's actually borrowing a metaphor from 
the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel was a prophet during the exile, the Babylonian exile. The, 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 God's people were carried away from Jerusalem. And Ezekiel's out there, gets his call as a prophet, not at home, but in exile. And he speaks, and he has a message to Jerusalem and Judea. He speaks to other nations. But the last part of Ezekiel is an address about how God's going to restore Israel. Listen to this. Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 2. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. God gave him this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you, you shepherds? You feed yourselves instead of your flocks. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool, butcher the best animals, but you let your flock starve. You're not taking care of the weak. You have not tended the, the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. But then, just like Jesus condemns the religious leaders of his day, God says this in verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search out and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all places where they are scattered on the dark and cloudy day. So God's saying, I reject you and I will take care of my people. You are bad shepherds. I am a true shepherd. And then he takes it up another notch. Now he does bring his people back. We know that from like Nehemiah and uh, Ezra, but listen to this, because here's where it gets really great. Different kind of churches you would be shouting right now, but that's okay. <laughs> Verse 23, Ezekiel 34. And I will set them, oh, and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. Time out. David has been dead for a long time when Ezekiel's on the scene. This David is looking forward to the Messiah. This is a reference to Christ. He will feed them and he will be a shepherd to them. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be a prince among my people. Jesus is doing the same exact thing that God has done to the religious leaders in Ezekiel 34. In fact, he's saying, I am the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. Like, a shepherd was not like a high, uh, prestigious role in Scripture. Not in scripture, but just in real life. Shepherds are dirty. They were, they were hired out like assassins to watch, the, not assassins, but they were just kind of like, they were hired out to do a job, right? The dirty job. Then this little boy named David becomes a king. And so there's a mixed review of what, how you view shepherds. I mean, the angels appeared to lowly shepherds at the birth of Jesus. But by the time Jesus rolls around, the metaphor of a shepherd actually was associated with a king, so Jesus shows up, and that's why, if you read further, which we'll get there next week, in John 10, 24, the people are like, just tell us, are you the king or not? They see this already. They're, they're, they see that. In the, they, they caught that Ezekiel reference. Look at verses 14 through 15 with me. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and they know me, just as my father knows me, and I know the father. To the shepherd, there is a intimacy he has with his flock just like Jesus has with his father that's why in Luke 15 when there was a lost sheep that is found what happens they throw a party because the sheep is the prized possession of the shepherd you 
are the prized possession of the good shepherd. This is a different sermon, but sometimes you sit here and you think, well, sometimes we know that in here, but we don't know that here. And what we know here is how we live our life. You are the prized possession of the shepherd. See, Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows, guides, and guards his sheep. The big idea of this whole message is that. And once again, if, you've, if you were in Sunday school in the third grade, you probably learned this lesson that he is the good shepherd. And while we know that lesson, let me ask this question. Who's guiding you? Who's guiding you? Who are you following? Do you live with a confident trust of God's care in the midst of COVID, political unrest, economic uncertainty? Do you live with a trust that he is the good shepherd, knowing it here? Or do you know it here? He is the good shepherd. There's an intimacy. He knows you. He'll guard you and he'll guide you. See, the way you see God has huge implications to how you live your life and how you approach him. Some of us have a hard time with, like, God the Father because we didn't have a great relationship with our Father. My dad's probably watching. I love you, Dad. It's not you. I'm just using it as an example. If God is some sort of, like, angry judge with gray hair up in the heavens, then we live differently than when he's the good shepherd. Do we not? Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows and guides and guards his sheep. You know, sheep have the reputation of being kind of dumb. Um, I'm not a shepherd. I'm not even a gardener. Like, I know nothing. I know those aren't related, but in my mind they're related. <laughs> Anything outside of my walls of my house. Sheep will wander, and they won't come back. Our dog will wander, and she'll come back. But sheep will find a tree and just bah until they die. We need a shepherd. Some of us may think that I'm doing okay without a shepherd. But if you don't see a need for a shepherd, even though as a Christian you have a good shepherd, if you think I'm doing okay navigating all that we're walking through today without a good shepherd. You're always going to live in nervousness. You're going to struggle. How do I approach the world that God's placed me in? I didn't choose 2020. 2020 chose me. Or, you know, you know God, God brought us here. God knew when I was born in 1978 that I would pastor in the middle of a pandemic. I'm walking through something that I don't have the answers for as your pastor. It's beyond me. It's bigger than me. I don't know, and I don't have what it takes. But you know what? Thank God I'm not your shepherd. I'm just the under-shepherd of the good shepherd. As Christians, we have a good shepherd. He knows us. He's guiding us, and he's guarding us. It seems like a very simple truth, and you probably wanted something deeper that you didn't know when you walked in the doors. But I'm convinced that preaching is not about giving you neat little trinkets of Bible that you didn't know, obscure stuff. It's about oftentimes just reminding us of what we already know, but we don't necessarily live by. 
reminding us of what we already know, but we easily forget when we walk out and live our life. He is the good shepherd. And I hope this week when you walk out of these doors, you would walk with a, a greater awareness of his presence as the good shepherd. Here's what I want you to do, some practical things. I want you to, first of all, tune your ear to the voice of the good shepherd. The reason we forget is sometimes our ear is not tuned. This is why we read the Bible. We don't read the Bible to appease God, to make him, to earn his favor. We have his favor. We read the Bible so we can know him and we can hear his voice. If, if you need help, we have a Bible reading plan. You can read through the whole Bible in two years. It's not too much to chew at one time. I'm, I'm realistic. I'm human. I'm doing it right now and I'm behind, so I'm playing catch up. Can the preacher say that? Yeah, the preacher just said that. There are things you do. Tune your voice to the good shepherd. This is prayer, for instance. We don't pray to ask God to do something he's not or do something that he wouldn't normally do. We pray simply saying, God, be who you say you are and do what you said you would do. This Thursday night at 7 o'clock, we have an all-church prayer meeting, and we're praying for local government. We're praying for our schools. We're praying for our church. And what we're saying is, God, be who you are. Do what you promised to do, who you revealed yourself to be. We don't need to convince him to do something different. But when we pray those things, guess what happens? We begin to understand and grow with a greater knowledge of who he is. And our ears tuned to the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. I, I'd recommend if you are beginning out with spiritual disciplines and reading the Bible, find a devotional. I, I would recommend this. I'm not going to go into it. I have a whole bunch of stuff because I love this one. But not all devotionals are created equally. Some of them are going to say, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and gosh darn, people like you. <laughs> if you want a pep talk, they're out there. But listen, find something that says, here is who God is, and here's what it means for my life. This one in particular talks about grace, grace, grace. And that takes place each morning. And I walk up and I realize that I'm living for his kingdom and not my own. There's other good ones. Join us in corporate worship. We sing these songs not because we're like, God, you are good and you don't know about it. But we are blessed because our picture of God grows when we sing these songs. I mean, really, it's, it's, it's kind of a teaching moment. Most of us are going to sing a song in the car when we turn to him, then we are going to start quoting scripture just because we don't recite scripture like we used to. We don't memorize it like we did as kids. But we know those truths that are in those songs. Once again, not all songs are created equally, but that's another thing altogether. Second thing I would say is find ways to remind yourself, catch yourself in those moments of anxiety when, when, when fear increases, when question marks seem just overwhelming and paralyzing. Find ways to trigger and remind yourself that you have a good shepherd. As you converse with friends about how the world's circumstances are going to affect the development of your children, who are growing up in a world very different than what you grew up in. Catch yourself and lean into the trust of the Good Shepherd. As you drive to work and wonder about what your job's gonna look like five years from now, and you begin to feel that anxiety and fear, or even five months from now, remind yourself that you have a Good Shepherd. He's not gonna prevent bad things from happening all the time. I mean, it's not like he's like, yeah, life's gonna be easy because I have a good shepherd. No, he's gonna guide us through those difficult things. He's gonna shepherd us through those things that turn our world upside down. 
as you drop your kids off in college, knowing that their first semester in, as college students is gonna be very different than what you, and you have to turn around and drive home. Remembering that you have a good shepherd will allow you to actually put that car in gear. <laughs> By the way, Sam, our drummer, where are you, Sam? Anyway, he's somewhere here. Who's back there? He's going to college. This, this is the last Sunday with us, so thank him for um, just leading us in worship. Through, yeah. As a matter of fact, I give you permission to bribe him to drop out of school and stay and keep playing drums. Listen, if you're not a Christian here today, the whole message is the message of Jesus. And maybe you, you would say, I, I don't know that I need a good shepherd. I, I don't think I do. I, I think I'm doing okay. I would just ask you to contemplate your path. There is a good shepherd. He is the gate. And we find life when we enter that gate. He's the one, like he says, when he talks about laying down his life for the sheep, that does what we cannot do. He lived the life that we could not live and died a death that we deserve. God takes on flesh to live amongst his creation because we cannot make ourselves right with God, but he lays himself down as the only one who can mediate between God or man, the God-man, that we would know him and have life. It's the message of John. As we close this service today, we'll have some of our elders and our prayer team come forward and they'll make themselves available to pray with you whether that's because you want to respond to this invitation of the good news or whether you just want someone else to pray with you about what you are walking through and that you would have greater trust in the Good Shepherd, I encourage you to pray with them. I'll be out there elbow bumping the guests, but that opportunity is here. Imagine if we really did live with a greater awareness that we have a Good Shepherd. I want to live with a greater awareness. I want to, to, to walk in the office when I find myself overwhelmed and say, thank God there's a great shepherd that's guiding me. How would that change your conversations with your friends? How would that change your attitude as you drive to work and your outlook? I think it would go something like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, brings honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you We started this service praying that you would indeed meet with us, 
recognizing your presence in this place and the work that you wanted to do today. We thank you, Lord, that you have indeed done just that. May we walk, Lord, with a greater awareness of the Good Shepherd. May we follow your lead, not just a knowledge, but really a heart knowledge, one that actually affects how we live our life and not just our theological conversations. God, I pray as we leave this place that as the Good Shepherd, you would comfort, guide us. There are those in this room who need comfort. There are those in this room who need guidance. We thank you for the abundant life that you bring. Eternal life to come, but life today, given by you, defined by you. In Jesus' name, amen.